Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today it's my privilege to welcome back to the show Joshua Bertolotti. Joshua is a reader, he's a writer, he's the host of In, Wis- In Search of Wisdom podcast, and he's the founder of the Perennial Leader Project. You can find links to all of his materials in the show notes, but Joshua is a, a bit of what I would call a, a renaissance uh, person. He's pulled together and integrated his deep Christian faith with the best thinking and writing that's come out of the wisdom tradition of the ancient world into the modern phase. Now today, it's a real treat because one of Joshua's deep loves and one of his um, influences is the American Christian contemplative Thomas Merton. And we're going to take a deep dive into how Merton's thought has influenced Joshua and some of the takeaways that we can bring into our own lives from Merton. We have a wide-ranging conversation. We also get into uh, Joshua's uh, second favorite author, Seneca, a little bit. So those of you who enjoy Stoicism are going to appreciate this episode as well. Uh, Before I jump into the interview, I want to remind you that if you're interested in connecting with me, you can sign up uh, for materials at brianrussellphd.com. Now let's listen in on the conversation I had with Joshua. Welcome back to the podcast, Josh. It's great to have you on again. Hey, appreciate it. Glad to be here. And we're going to talk about uh, Merton and maybe even a little stoicism. We'll see how how that goes. But uh, just talk a little bit about how you, as uh, you have your perennial wisdom project with your the, the whole perennial leadership podcast and search of wisdom, all those kind of things. So how how do you how, what what drew you to, and what continues to draw you to Thomas Merton and his writings about really the contemplative life? Oh, I appreciate it. I'm a, I'm really excited to to have a conversation about Merton. As I just mentioned before we hit record, I think. Merton and Seneca are, are two figures that that I, I've been with for a number of years and people I read regularly. And I think I, I first found Merton. Um, my wife and I have been together for about 20 years or so, and I was not Catholic. My wife was, is Catholic. So um, before we got married, I went through the process to become Catholic in and really got into it and and read a lot of the you know halfway modern uh catholic authors people like thomas keaton merton richard rohr people like that and um merton is uh someone i just have always felt gets a bit like a couple layers beneath the surface in the way of deep wisdom you know, there's some of these things which are valuable and useful that you might call practical wisdom. And then there's some of these things that are a bit beneath the surface that, um, you know, touch on things that are a bit more difficult to understand, things like contemplation, love, solitude, things like that. Um, but I, I've been a longtime fan and, and student of Merton. And, and let's just unpeel, um, unpack a couple of things you just said, and let's just like even start with something like solitude and, and silence. Uh, how how have Merton's writings helped you with that? And how do you th- and how does that connect back to to just wisdom, which I know you're so interested in? Yeah. So some of these things, in a way, are like to me, you know, it's paradoxical in a way. Of, um, you know, if I, I think back to about maybe 15 years ago or so, I'm coming up on 45 now. And, you know, you and you get into this and you think of maybe solitude. And oftentimes, as people are talking about maybe meditation today as some place of rex, rest and relaxation, and, and maybe it can be. But he also, you know, points out that contemplation and solitude don't necessarily expect, you know, some tranquility. Contemplating some of these difficult questions 
can really bring about, you know, it, it gets you into this area of uncertainty, I guess, to put it broadly speaking, which can bring about some anxiety, some doubt. And, you know, you use someone that is, uh, you know, written and spoke a lot about about stillness and contemplative practices, obviously have highlighted that as as well. Um, but I think some of that paradoxical wisdom, if you will, the counterintuitive nature of some of these things is really important because if someone doesn't know that and then they go embark on a some sort of stillness practice and then find themselves in some rocky waters, if if you will, it's you know it's just important to to know that what um is, is really possible and to know that some of that is in a way you know a good sign no that that was that was good did you know i mean before you started reading the contemplative writers and read merton had you already experienced some of that doubt uncertainty or or was that kind of a primer that made it easier for you to spend more time in 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 contemplation yeah i am um... I think I've always been a bit on the curious side. I mentioned last time we connected um, at my first base when I was in the military, there was a young man that that took his own life. And it was so shocking to me. I had just never experienced that or seen that. And, and I didn't know him super well. But, you know, looking from afar seemed to just have everything going for him, everything, um, you know, together. So it 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 brought a, about a lot of a lot of questions. I, I would consider myself I've always been a, a Christian, a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, but until I met my wife and until probably late 20s, is when I became much more serious about it and where my my curiosity questions maybe shifted from human nature to more, um, you know, spiritual related questions. That's good. And as you have you found in your own spiritual growth, um, and you see, you've 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 read deeply from, I mean, basically the the sources themselves that have built up Western civilization. And you know, you just when you're saying like, I know lots of people that convert to Catholicism, but I don't know lots of people start reading all the books that you just started rattling off. So you you've you you take you took it really seriously, and it, and at some level, there's always a balance. Um, um, theology can give give the illusion that you know we can explain everything about god and so we have all these deep doctrines and then what you just said about contemplation so how, how do you how do you think as far as there's certainty there's certain about a certainty having a foundation in religion so how does uncertainty help us with certainty and how does certainty help us with uncertainty that's even a fair question. Yeah. <laughs> There's your paradox for you. <laughs> um, it, I think it is a fair question. It's such an important question. And it's an intimidating question, to be honest, to to talk about it, you know, at least um for me. And but that's a lot of what Merton is is talking about as I read new seeds of contemplation and things like that. Um in a way, there's things that say we we have certainty about. Like I'm, you know, I feel certain that we're called to love one another. Yes. Now there's can be uncertainty about many things of what should that look like, what does that look like? Though I mean, you know, you can go on on and on, and we have to um, navigate that uncertainty and and do the do the best we can. But in in the way of um, like contemplation, like Merton says that it's essentially not something that can really be talked about. It's it's essentially beyond art, poetry. It's not philosophy. It's not you know many of these things. And I've I've had uh, you know as you know you've been a guest on In Search of Wisdom. I, I've asked many people to maybe differentiate the difference between meditation and contemplation in even people from eastern traditions you know how do we 
differentiate these two. But but long long story short, though, like I was thinking of um, a particular experience. Like he says, it, it's in in many ways something has to be experienced. Mm-hmm. So, like for example, I I do a fair amount of walking meditation, and for for any listeners out there, in terms of um, like say walking meditation, no different than sitting meditation you could use a few different things maybe commonly you know the breath in centering prayer you know this prayer word to to bring you back but there's also like uh the senses you know say so sometimes you could and i, I would encourage anybody listening to to maybe try this if they haven't of um focus on a particular sense like say a sound you know, you're on a walking meditation and let let the the focus be sound. And as you um get started, maybe those sounds are are subtle. But it in my experience, and I think m- many other people would experience something similar, that as you go, those sounds are gonna become more distinct and and louder. You know, you can walk and you can experience all the birds and the insects, things that you were not even aware in the way of of the sounds, just from the thoughts that might be going in our head and just the noise of, of everyday life. You can really experience that. And I think the same thing in terms of senses of um of like the breeze, even on a day that is very, very calm on this walking meditation. As you continue, you'll really notice, you know, and be able to experience like this, the breeze. And on this long thing, and I think that applies to many other things, is my point of the the love of God, the love of you know, from from other people, the love that we have for other people. I think of Merton. That's there's a a story of him on the um, corner of this street. You know, experiencing the love for for the people. And I think, in a way, like some of that thing of tuning in to the noises of nature that maybe we didn't notice. The same thing can apply to some of these other things if we can actually tune in and in a way experience the love that we have for others or or vice versa in terms of receiving um might be you know the best way that i could come up with in terms of talking about contemplation as this experiential thing no i i love that i want to just drill down a little bit on on your practice so just to make it clear, I was just kind of reading between the lines there. Um, so like you, when you go out for a walk, <clears throat> I mean, you mentioned wind, you mentioned sounds, I guess you could even use a sight if you saw something and just kind of focus on maybe a rabbit or something, if you see it off in the distance or a tree. So when you hear a sound, like you're saying, oh, I hear a bird, are you f- trying literally to just your that's your that's your um focus point so when you're in that and that's what's drawing you present and when you find yourself distracted to go try to listen for that bird singing again is that yeah i'm i'm using it um like an anchor just like the breath where yeah, i'm yeah, yeah. present so i'm not necessarily holding on to you know just like a breath i'm not necessarily holding on to this one you know it's this then that and then that gotcha um but it, it but it's a real interesting thing of um the fact when we turn our present moment attention to something where there's things going on that we're just simply not always aware of and sometimes even um obviously depending on where you're doing it but um the sight can sometimes be a distraction because you mentioned like the rabbit and things like that. Yeah. The cars and distraction, you know, it's if you're at a place where you can maybe look down or close your eyes periodically to just, 
you know, have this, have this, have this, um, you know, the sounds coming in or the, the sensations of, of the breeze or whatever it may be. And you, and you feel that connection. So like it, it uh, when you talk about it, it, it helps you uh, in the area of, of like, let's say love. Uh, now, a lot of times when we think about contemplation, the first thing that most people think of is, is some kind of contemplative prayer where we have just, just, uh, you know, an, ineffable experience of the divine kind of a, a union if you will you know and again i'm not going to try to use careful theological language because just it's kind of beyond description there but in a in a sense also it, it expands our ability it seems like to love others and have, how do you think that actually works out uh it's like by how what's the what's the what's the connection between kind of getting tuned in i think that was maybe a phrase that you used or um and expanding in our capacity to love others. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a difficult question for me. Uh, sometimes I think about some of these practices in the way of um, nothing to do, nothing to like, no no sort of uh, like good or bad. You know, like if um, you can hear people say, and I'm sure I've said. That's, oh, I'm, I'm a bad meditator or I'm not good at this. It's like, how do you like think about these things? I've, I've been doing a, a course I'm calling perennial habits where we just think about these things as just lifelong things. Um, but to, to your question, though, uh, in terms of like love and, and things like that, and maybe seeing clearly. I don't know. Sometimes I think of the um, like solitude, the the false self type of stuff. Some of these things of like getting some of that stuff out of the the way. Like as you talk about like fear, guilt, shame type of stuff. How do we almost like clear clear the way a little bit to see some of that stuff? Like in my experience, that type of seeing clearly which i think merton talks about it because it's it connects with the uncertainty thing of how do i you know if you're getting feelings of fear guilt and shame you know, sometimes a wise question is like how might i be wrong mm -hmm. you know of um well what what do i know Maybe something montaigne type of said of um to clear a little bit of that uh away and, and maybe all of these things in a way work together and all of these practices are interconnected in in some sort of way yeah i've been playing with the metaphor i don't know i guess it's maybe even just the last month or so of um because I, I you know i loved you talked about anchors you know filling the breeze bring you back or um i, I always think of like i even try to watch for birds and trees because i've mostly been oblivious just thinking all the time with mostly my head down with my professor slouch walking around so i just i try to look for things now or look at leaves listen like you said um and then obviously in centering prayer my eyes closed it's it's kind of the same thing it's like you can get this um when you get that centered presence for a split second or however long it lasts uh, i've been kind of liking it to you know that's always available and i think that's one of the benefits of contemplation is you get to see something that's actually true that's always there that we're oblivious to and i think back i mean you're probably old enough to remember the old radios where you had to dial them with the dials and it's and i, I wonder if this kind of this contemplative signal if you will the which i would call it it's just god's love that's just always there but we have to actually manually dial our radio in and these practices let us to do that so that more and more of our lives we can just um, be present um how does that kind of image land with you with uh, with what you're trying to describe yeah it it does and in a way of um i i tend to think in visuals a lot so i i like in the way of of dialing in sometimes I think some of um like a particular insight you can think of um like you know self-improvement or you know growth and things like that 
I, I, I wonder sometimes how helpful those words are mm -hmm. when I like reflect and think about something, you know, if you get a particular insight, you're able to see something like, did you improve at all? Was that really some sort of growth? Or is that, you know, you were able to catch something at a particular angle that you weren't able to see it before, you know, some sort of, um, you know, like the, the dial in the optometrist's office type of thing. It's like, you know, something in, in that same thing. Um, but I, I tend to think a lot in the way of in seeing, like seeing clearly, what am I, what am I missing here? Like if all is well, and, and maybe it doesn't necessarily seem that way, you know, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? And so when you answer a question like that, and when you have kind of a contemplative moment um, of real clarity, how, how, do, how do you actually land that in your life in some tangible way? Um, is that where your stoic practices come in? Like, how do you integrate, like, let's say an insight, right? Because you're all right. I mean, we could have a great insight. You can type it and you might never forget it, but it may not do anything tangibly other than have just kind of astonished your mind for a couple seconds or whatever but like what have you found and in what way has contemplation enhanced your ability to integrate insights yeah in a in a way like this answer may not may not sit that well with like any any listeners and and this is something merton talks about as well in a way like the question is the answer like what am i not seeing like in that particular moment yeah. what am i not seeing like as the question like that's enough maybe there because i mean what can what can you really know for sure in that particular situation but even being open to the idea that there might be something that is like beyond my understanding in this moment. And that is completely okay. And um, I think sometimes when we have too much of a desire to fill in those dots or fill in the holes of what might be missing, well, maybe we're filling in, maybe we're answering things that are like more, I don't know how to say it exactly. Um, well, well, Merton talks about, and this, let me just, I don't want to put words yeah, in your mouth, but I, I love where you're going with this right now, but he has that little section in New Seeds and I'd have to look, pull the book out to get the quote, but he talks about the more you do contemplate, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, is that you find out that God is nothing and you actually lose your experience. You, you lose who you thought God was. And the reality is that's true because God wasn't anything anyway. Is that kind of where you're going with, uh, with uh, that kind of idea and that, uh, and so then you can be okay with that because you've had a, like an experience that then frees us from having to work out all the really specific details uh in a ways that ultimately would be, I would say, idolatrous, because sometimes the details we actually make God something other than God by to make it make sense in our own minds. Yeah, it gets um I I like that. And um around like the faith thing and the doubt and and losing, he he speaks a bit about you're not necessarily um, losing like your actual faith. Right, right. Like a bit of the doubt. It's To me, it, it is more of um, you're accepting the unknowing type of stuff. Um, but he calls it in the way of like the doubt is um, like a false doubt. I think might be the term that that he uses in in front of that but in a way of like we have all experienced and been like in the midst of turmoil you know we're, we're just in this day of where 
it it doesn't all seem well and we're we're bothered by um everything yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah people are know. bothered by everything today it seems yeah. like yeah and um even just coming to that thing like to stick with that question of you know what am i not seeing some sort of reminder of like you know if we're called to love oh i mean even that of you know if you think of like the saint francis prayer which uh i think i've brought up in previous conversations with you but i'm fascinated by that middle pivot of where it basically shifts from inside to out you know a lot of the turmoil a lot of the things and and maybe the stoics would talk about like desires and aversions something a lot of the monks talk about and desires temptations all of this type of stuff can cause this you know inner turmoil but really all is well because we still have the agency to pardon others to love others you know it's still um in like we all need some sort of reminder but it seems like at least in my experience, the humility, like switch or like flipping it type of thing of being, well, what do I exactly know? I'm not exactly, um, you know, certain how the world is supposed to unfold, if if you will, you know, um, type of stuff. It, I, and I, I just want to jump right on the humility piece because I thought that that was a that, that's for when I was listening to you. I was one, and, and then you actually you you said that. So one of the fruits of contemplation seems to be humility, and the interesting thing seems to be it gets back the ability to um, embrace uncertainty. And is is that do you, how would you? I don't want to put words in your mouth. So does contemplation lead to humility because yeah. we get put into a space of uncertainty or is that yeah. part of it? No, it, it reminds me of an, of an interesting point around solitude. Yeah. He talks about being wary of solitude. If you think of, the person that is maybe coming from the place of the false self, or you just think like coming from the place of this individualistic type of thing. And now we're in this space, you know, maybe it leads to a spiritual narcissism. Maybe it leads to this feeling of self-improvement or self-growth type of thing. Um, and I'm, I'm not exactly saying from that that's not necessarily a thing, but in the way of being wary of that, um, like where are we entering into that from? Like, are we entering in from a perspective of, of the false self or, or something else? Yeah. And talk a little bit about when you, when you're saying false self, what do you, how do you think Merton reads that? What would you say that means to Merton? And then maybe even, you know, we're talking about humility. That's the opposite of pride. So we're, now we're into the seven deadly sins stuff too. And any reflections on how false self, seven deadly sins fits in with contemplation, at least as you've read through Merton or maybe even experienced inside your own soul? Yeah, I, I think mostly for me, what what I think has been most helpful is this thing of the individual. Mm -hmm. like as he writes about it in New Seeds, in this individualistic, you know, thing of where we're filling our own desires, but then, it, you know, they talk about, um, you know, the ego and thing like, and things like that, which doesn't necessarily connect so much with me. It has so many different meanings. I think when you, when you hear that, but even from the place of like the individual of if we can come from a place which I think comes through Merton in many, many of, of some of these like wise writers that we're not better than anyone. We're not less than anyone. And like 
you know, that thing you think of, of Merton or any sort of situation of where we can see that we love everyone and everything. And honestly, and I mean, some of this stuff depends on like what your definition of things like love is, what, you know, what is love? But I think from a, you know, definition of essentially like goodwill, I think we should all be able to say in an experience that everyone is in love with us. They're not necessarily, um, you know, people out there, especially that are operating from some sort of true self where they are wishing any sort of ill will, you know, to, to others. I mean, obviously there's dark things and there's evil and all of that type of stuff, but in the way of, um, you know, we, we are loved, and I, I think we can tap in and, and experience that. No, I, I I I love that. I think it's it's. I've noticed in my own life, um, as as I've continued to grow, and um, I've I would say I've been humbled by the contemplation, um, in the sense that in certain moments, just overwhelmed, um, and literally realize like i don't know anything um and, it, and it's when you get those kind of moments um i think they can be kind of scary too because you feel like you're going to lose yourself some at some point <clears throat> but what what ultimately ends up happening is is i think love comes through and i've heard you saying that uh, as kind of this underlying current and and i would throw two more words in there that i think is interesting because it's it's because and this is where it gets to be paradoxical you know, Jesus even said, "You find if you try to find your life, you lose it." All and you get that kind of language, and it seems like it's that in it, at at some point in the con in the in the contemplative pieces too. And I have to be careful because I'm not trying to pretend like I'm some great contemplator either. Um, but I've just I've taken I've just gotten glimpses of this. But it's it's like you feel completely loved, and then in the midst of the unknowing. And this is where it doesn't quite make sense. The only thing I could say is like you feel safe despite the fact that you're stripped away of certainty, but you still feel safe and you feel accepted and, and then love flows through. So you get like this, I would say this interesting place of um, because you're safe, you can surrender even more to the to God, I would say. Um, and and then when you you know surrender you experience even more acceptance and when you feel acceptance by god at a base level i mean total acceptance like all of us um not just um you know not just the false image or whatever or our ideal image but the whole mess the true self the false self the shadow a whole thing that you're fully accepted by god that seems to kill the ego off if at least partially again nobody's going to proclaim i have no ego cuz i surely know i still have one um but that experience of this being accepted which i think comes in some of these moments it allows you to be a little less ego centric just turn it down a little bit and then and then what happens then you even realize how much more god loves you and then that lets us with no ego you can be more loving and i'm hearing you saying that and that because and uh because that is the end right you can actually see another and you see another soul and you can just see them yeah. and uh apart from judgment because you just realize you haven't been judged for who you are by a God that can look right through you, and you actually realize that happened in the contemplative stuff. Does that what 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 do you think about that? And is that any of your experience? And yeah, it um it definitely is in the way of um like the darkness of human nature, like in in ourselves, in the way of um just like these desires and and aversions that that we have. Uh, I made a note. I, I've been for the last couple of weeks. I've been reading a a year with Thomas Merton, and I I'd love to share at some point something in there where it's it's from his journals. But this thing of um, you know, we've talked about humility. Like in a way, it's you know, humility, like this, this acceptance of 
whatever it may be. And he says something along the lines in uh, No Man is an Island that it's like going down and exploring all of the ways that you're unlovable. Mm. On the other side, to realize that in spite of it all, you are loved. And um, a few years ago, there was something that like really stuck with me. One guest that I had on In Search of Wisdom talked about that same idea from the perspective of, of Zen. There's this thing of, um, you know, you're absolutely perfect the way you are. And there's a few things you could, <laughs> you know, work on. And it's, uh, if you hear something like that, you know, picture yourself in a performance review, you know, it's like, ah, things are going well. And there's a few things, you know, the second part, and, and I mean, this is just from an individual perspective of, you know, in, in solitude with yourself, but that second part can feel like a slight, but just like Merton was talking about, it's such an opportunity for authentic love because the, the love that just like appreciates all the great and wonderful things, you know, that you may have done is, is that, you know, is that the love that we're called to? No, probably not. If it's like the narrow gate, if it's the difficult path, yeah, it's, it's, it's loving those ways that honestly, we're not, necessarily so lovable we're a bit neurotic and we're a bit you know certain when we shouldn't be and all sorts of stuff but at the same time we're loved in spite of all of that like that is some deep place to to really experience i think some some inner peace in a way some you know being at home in, in the world type of stuff yeah, I definitely want you to share that uh, that that piece here in a minute. But you know, as I think I've probably shared this quote on your podcast, but it's it's it comes from the Paul Tillich. It's when he always talked about grace being the moment you accept the fact that you're unconditionally accepted. And I and I I hear that, and then you know I always think I used I think at least one of these was in the Centering Prayer book that I wrote. But I like I've always found there's an irony because obviously God's God's infinite and we're finite. And therefore, like everything you just said, you can be completely loved and still have things to work on. And and it makes it's paradox, but it makes sense because it's like, you know, but both of us wear glasses and our glasses are really dirty. You can tell. But a lot of times, you know, you think, hey, this is great. But then, you know, if you think of God as the light and you hold your glasses up to the light, bam, mm -hmm. now you see everything. But uh and then, you know, we were talking before we started recording, you know, just going to the beach this summer with with, um, with family. Uh and that other metaphor I always think of is, um, you know, the life that God ultimately is calling us to is love. And to me, love is infinite also. Um, I'm not going to claim that that's some deep theological truth that has to be in a doctrine somewhere, but I think it's infinite. And if God is infinite and, God's, and, and God is love at the core, that to me makes love infinite. And so I'm going to spend all eternity becoming more loving. That doesn't mean I'm not loving now. And but when you compare it to God, it'd be like if we go to the beach and you like tell your kids, hey, swim out to the horizon or take a pat a surfboard out to the horizon, they're never getting an inch closer the whole time. <laughs> but yeah. if you yeah. turn your head around and look back to the beach, oh, I did get somewhere. I'm completely loved. And there's some still things to work on. So I love that. Yeah. I'd love to hear the little piece from Merton that you wanted to share. So make sure we do that before we have time. We'll just we'll record a little bit longer here, but let's, uh, let's, let's see where we can go with that. I'd love to yeah, hear let me it. Just, let me just touch on a couple yeah. um, points. And like I say, I've, um, I've, I've been reading this the last couple of weeks, just in, in preparation to kind of chat about Merton. Um, but the last 10 years of his life, he explored Many different wisdom traditions was interested yeah. in in Zen and Buddhism and in a lot of different different things. And sometimes people are a bit critical of him of him for that. Um, but if you look in his his journal, this was the one from yesterday. This was um, written May sixteenth, nineteen sixty eight. And can you remind us what book? What book are you reading from now? Too? It's uh, it's actually Merton's journal. Is that what you just said? 
Yeah, it's a it's a year with Thomas Merton oh, okay, daily okay. meditations from his from his journal. Okay, cool. And they're they're real short, but there's a particular point here. Give me yeah, just yeah. A, a moment to find because I don't want to read this whole thing. And I'll just toss in here while while Josh is looking for this. That uh, we'll have everything in the in the show notes, links to Merton's books and uh, all the Josh's uh, materials as well. But anyway, like as I was mentioning, he explored many different wisdom traditions. But if you look at his journal, it's all for the love of God. I mean, it is all it is all about um, love. And he says, I am the utter poverty of God. I am his emptiness, littleness, nothingness, lostness. When this is understood, my life is his freedom. The self-emptying of God in me is the fullness of grace, a love for God that knows no reason because he is the fullness of grace, a love for God that knows no reason because he is a God, a love without measure, a love for God as personal. And towards the end of this particular entry, um, he puts a, a quote in there from the Bhagavad Gita, you know, he says, distinguish work as narcotic. This is being an operator and all that goes with it from healthy and free work, but also consider the wrong need for non-action. As the Gita says, do not let the fruit of action be your motive and do not be attached to non-action. In other words, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Work to please God alone. So I think it highlights, and I mean, there's many different um, journal entries that he that he has, um, you know, just highlighting what the project was about, like this, what I would call like search for God, search for wisdom, love, whatever you would want to to say there. But in the in the one for today, just read a couple sentences of this humility. It says, yesterday I was bitter for a while, growling to myself, yes, we have the Holy Ghost all right, in a cage with his wings clipped. But later, during the gospel, the let not your heart be disturbed came through into my heart as if especially directed to me, and I remembered there was no need to be bitter or to worry or even to notice what appears to me to be senseless in our life here. So I just love and have an appreciation. And I think why he connects with so many people is this, you know, deep humility in a way. And, and maybe it's just an honesty mm -hmm. about himself and to be able to see, you know, both sides of, um, of, um, you know, of many different, you know, situations in, in life. I love that. And, and I, and I want to bring this back to some of the, like come at your project here too, like, you know, cause, um, did, were you interested, did you, cause you mentioned you found Merton when, right. When you've known your wife for 20 years, so it's been 20 years. So you're in your twenties. Um, were you already interested in say Seneca and, um, um, any of the this perennial wisdom tradition at that point, or did you come to that piece after you'd like read Keating and um, Merton and such? And like, no, I, I think I started, um, you know, around my late twenties, really reading a lot of leadership books. Okay, I was really interested in in leadership. I spent my adult life in the in the military, um, which in a way is a little bit similar. Not as not as extreme to a monk, but in the way of being in some sort of system where you're true part of that system. You you know obedience is a thing. You do you know what is what is required. Um, but then after kind of transitioning from leadership books is when I got into a lot of the the Merton Thomas Keating and Richard Rohr okay. type of stuff, and then probably Stoics a, a bit later after that. So do you think that's uh, yeah so so that so you came to the, the the more wider wisdom stuff after kind of through your Christian faith in a sense and after you've done all the leadership training that's so do you think I'm just curious like the contemplation helped you being helped probably helped you be curious 
um, brought you like, I guess we could call it epistemological humility in the sense that you don't feel like you have to have it all figured out. So you can just listen without necessarily, not, not without judgment, but without feeling like you have to put everything in a box right off the, off the bat. Um, how, how has stoicism helped your contemplation and how has then contemplation helped your stoicism? Maybe if that's, uh, yeah, or interest I, in stuff. And let's just say Seneca, since I know you said that's your second favorite. You're Merton and Seneca are your two main influences. Yeah, I do, and I find a lot of similarities. I do a Sundays with uh, with Seneca, and and thought of, thought about doing a Mondays with Merton. I'm sure I will <laughs> at some point in time. But um, I think from um, a wisdom tradition standpoint. Like I'm a practicing Christian myself. I consider that my wisdom tradition. Yes. But I do think as some of these other people have, you know, talked about previously that exploring some of these different traditions um, can help clarify, just like it did in that particular journal entry where he, you know, integrated the uh, a line from the Bhagavad Gita are some of these things that maybe just written in a slightly different way, kind of same message, but from a 10 degree different angle can um, really create some clarity around, you know, what it, what it means. Um, for example, you know, we did an episode, you connected and chatted with me for an hour about forgiveness. Yeah. Is I mean, it's just, it's Christianity. It's an unbelievable wisdom tradition, especially like around forgiveness. Like there's just some beautiful things like these parables and the passages like around forgiveness. Um, but some of these stoic practices can help us to actually practice forgiveness as well. Like for the example, like the dichotomy of control of knowing you know what's up to us and what's not up to us in a way it's a similar thing as that saint francis prayer just put in a different thing it's that second half actually you're you know called to pardon to love to this i mean it's it's same way it connects a little bit with the that dichotomy of control what's up to us it's our own actions our own doing is what's up to us and it's a reminder to focus on that. Um, so that's like a little example that comes to mind. But I think if if you have a a foundation and you have clarity around your particular wisdom tradition, if that's Christianity, for example, then some of these other wisdom traditions can just help like add to it or you know provide a particular practice to you know to be a better fill in the blank, you know, type of wisdom tradition that you're striving to follow. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I actually, um, you know, I think other things you can read. Uh, I mean, you can read the Tao. You can read, well, you mentioned the, I don't even know how to say it, Bhagavad Gavita. I mean, I should know how to say it, but I don't. Or you could, um, but, but the, these traditions, these are, these are deep, there's deep wisdom in all these things. And they sort of amplify, it, it doesn't wishy-washy your own position. It can amplify them. Um, and, and then, and I think the Stoic, they were, um, they were really um, dialed in on at least one part of life, which was actually putting into practice the things that you said you believed. And that, that's what I, that's what I personally appreciate um, the most of the Stoics. And I think that's why their writings were preserved in monasteries, because it's almost like Stoicism. Again, I have to be careful how I say this. I'm not going to overstate this, but I'll, I'll just going to say it when I was on my head. It's almost like it gives you an operating system that you can take the deep theological truths of Christianity and figure out how to actually integrate them and live them out. Um, uh, like I was at the beach um, for my birthday a couple of weeks ago, and I was reading Epictetus. And whenever I need a good, um, I always call it a good butt kicking. I read a little Epictetus because I just feel <laughs> like um just cuts me to pieces. And the one quote that I came away with this time, it's from Discourses. It was something like, <laughs> be happy when the doctrines <laughs> you've been studying 
are are put into practice in your real life. <laughs> and that's the exact opposite. It's like, man, I just rather think about uh, theology and never have to be tested at it. But I mean, and I think that's where, where Stoicism and even some of these other wisdom traditions, you get to see people um, talking about ways to actually embody things. It's one thing to say, I love everybody. Um, it's another thing to actually love a person standing right in front of you that's annoying you right now, right? It's, I mean, so that's... Uh, uh, that's why I, that's what draws me to the to the stoics i mean what is that your similar experience like uh the, um like would you how, how would you respond to what i said yeah it it definitely is um like something as you were talking about there something that always connects with me in the way of of seneca and i think many of of, of the stoics but but seneca like really hammers at home in these letters to lucilius of you know, virtue is the only good. It's really so much about clarity. You know, it's like the wise person, they may not take the same steps, but they walk a single road. And like, you know, as a, as a Christian, it's like, you know, that road is, is love, you know, yes. it's, it's, and that can help us like remembering like, that is the only good, you know, it's like love of God, love of our neighbor, love of ourselves, you know, having some clarity and a reminder. Yeah, we might not always, we might veer off, unfortunately, because we're, we're sinners and we make mistakes and we may, you know, get off for a moment, but, but that's our road. We can come back to that single road, whatever that is for you as, as an individual, you know, create that clarity for you. But, um, and, and I mean, that's so much in that last passage of, of Merton, then it's like, oh, then he's reminded, you know, he notices himself essentially veering off that road, you know, and then like coming back. And if we can, I, I, I think it's not always helpful for everyone, but, you know, visualize in a way as like, you know, what that road looks like. It helps for me in terms of visualizing. I can notice, oh, I, I just veered, I just veered off the off the road here. How do I get so back good. on? That's so good. That is that is good. And that's the contemplative thing that we just go back to your walking practice or a centering prayer. And that's that's that little that little moment when you adjust and realize you've broken presence. That actually, I would say that teaches us the very, you know, you're talking about repentance basically, noticing getting back on the road, noticing, getting back on the road. And uh, it hits all parts of our lives. Now, th th so this is good. Um, again, I want to be fair to your time here. I think I could go on. I really appreciate uh, this. And we'll have to probably, we're going to have to do this again, actually, because we're start, we've, uh, we've, we've approached the depths here a little bit. So we'll, we'll come back on again here at, at some point. Um, somebody's listening and uh, maybe they doesn't know a lot about Merton. Um, you've mentioned a few books, like what, where do you, when you introduce a person to Thomas Merton, who, what what which of his books do you suggest people um, maybe jump into or open up and start working through? I I tend to say New Seeds of Contemplation. Yeah, it's a short book. The chapters are really short. I want to say there's like you know thirty chapters or something like that in there. Um, but yeah, I think you can't go wrong with with that. And then, you know, and you've mentioned, uh, what are some of your other favorite Merton books? You've mentioned a couple things. I just want to make sure I record everything. Like what are, what, what else have, have you read that you found really helpful or interesting, or maybe you just something you thought, wow, that's, that's just a really cool book. Yeah. I want to say some of these um, journal entries, Signs of Jonas is um, a, a book of his journal entries. Um, I also like this, you know, the year year with Merton if if somebody maybe finds finds interest in something but but maybe before you get anything you can you can easily do some some google searching around and you know check out some of um some of his stuff but uh but I, I think there's a lot there and even if it doesn't connect initially like in that term seeds like he the original book seeds of contemplation and new seeds of contemplation you know, he talks about each moment. It's basically some of these seeds just fly away and, and perish. But I, I think it's 
something you can come back to, you know, again and again. To me, it's something you could read once a year and, you know, five years later or, you know, three months later, plants these little seeds that might start to, uh, you know, connect and, and grow, if you will. That's good. That's that's really good. I'm just curious, have you ever had the opportunity to go to Gethsemane in Kentucky where Merton lived? No, I've... Um... I've thought about it because I don't live super far from there. I actually had um, on my on my podcast someone that uh, is there and was there at the same time as as Merton and stuff like that. But it's it's definitely something I I want to do at some point in time for sure. Okay, yeah, I was just uh, I was just curious. I know there's one closer to in Georgia Conyers. It's the same. Uh, there's a what does. Uh, forget what to call it the something to the holy spirit i think it is there's another um cistercian community i think it is that's that's right there too um that's a little yeah. closer but that's not the but i know merton you can go and check out his uh his little hermitage that he had uh i've known a couple people that have gone there so it's good no this nice. is this is uh, this has been a great conversation uh josh and i appreciate uh you coming on um would you share with folks um where the best place to find you and talk about, you know, some of the work that you're doing in your podcast. And uh, even like you mentioned, the Sundays with Seneca, talk to folks, how they can connect with you if they would be interested and uh, begin be part of some of these bigger conversations that you're having with the world. Oh, sure. I, I appreciate that. Um, I'm retired from the military. So first and foremost, I, uh, you know, drop my kids off from school and, and pick them up and, you know, take care of stuff. Uh, um, around the house here, but in be in between that, I I do um what I call like a daily email meditation newsletter on Substack. It's called Perennial Meditations, um, and there you can it's it covers all sorts of stuff from various different uh, traditions, from Sundays with Seneca, and right now every Monday uh, I'm doing a you know, the art of living from Socrates to St. Thomas Aquinas, where each week I'm, you know, exploring a bit of the life and philosophy of of some of these, you know, great Stoic saints and sages. So a lot of different stuff um, on there, but probably perennial meditations on on Substack is the is the best spot. And one other thing is um every Friday we do this um, you know, weekly meetup, which is kind of part of this um you know, daily email thing. But every Friday at noon Eastern, we run this book club and we have been doing it for about six months now, but we started with new seeds of contemplation. Right now, um, we're we're talking about Spinoza, but we're covering various different, you know, thinkers from, from different traditions and things like that. And it's a, just a space to connect. It's a small group from ages from you know, probably my age to to seventies to connect and have conversations on the on the art of living. Really, that's a, that's a beautiful life. Again, th I mean, I'm grateful that uh, you know, the, the the military gives good retirements because that's a, that's it's almost like you have a professor's life going on there. And uh, I do want to recommend um, Josh's. Uh, his newsletter um, and and you know at minimum connect with them on. Um, Instagram, I think you're on Twitter also, but just continuously pours out good posts and you can just see the some of the great quotations from the Western world. And uh, his writing is 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 deep and um, again, super grateful for the work that you're doing. Well, I appreciate it. I, I, I definitely appreciate it. And I'm, uh, I feel unbelievably fortunate to have the the space and the time. And, um, and really, I, I'm coming at it from a, a very average every day navigating life you know perspective um and and hopefully that comes through a bit in the in the in the writing of uh you know what might be you know useful in in daily life no it absolutely does and i'd go so far if anyone's listening and people are looking for ways to help um like I would feel completely comfortable uh, and suggest that you could let teenagers and kids in high school, um, maybe a little bit younger, but at least definitely high school kids that are looking to expand intellectually kids in college. Josh's stuff is outstanding at, for at a certain age to just help introduce you to wisdom. Cause as we, in as part of this work of uh, I would say 
rebuilding the West, let alone reintroducing Christianity. We need really good thinkers that uh, can deal with the complexity. And again, I, I find your writing just to be outstanding. I know you're being humble here, but uh, but uh, I definitely want to say anybody like I would say homeschool networks, other things can connect with Josh's stuff and uh, find some really good resources that bring primary texts into conversation with 2023. And that I think that's your real gift, honestly, and I'm grateful for it. Well, I appreciate that. It means a lot. Yeah, thanks yeah. so much, Brian. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, and everyone, thanks for listening to this week's uh, edition of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. If you found this episode helpful, uh, please consider sharing it with your friends. And until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be voices of hope in the world.